Let's remain standing and bow our heads as we pray. Oh Lord, we spend most of the rest of our week relentlessly hearing the voices of our world. Lord, we spend so much time seeing the beauty and the brokenness in which we live. And all of this shapes us, it influences us, it, it, it molds us, it affects us. Lord, we are being seduced by the spirit of the age. But we want to be sanctified by the spirit of God this morning. Lord, we want to become more like Christ, not, not more like our culture. And so, Lord, in our precious time gathered together now by your spirit, enable us to hear your word, to see your splendor. Spirit of God, breathe on your church. Pour out your presence. Speak through your word. We pray in every nation Christ be known. Our hope and our salvation, Christ alone. Amen. Amen. Please do take your seats. Good morning, everybody. It really is wonderful to be back. If you've uh, joined the church in the last few months, uh, you might not know who I am, but uh, my name's John, and I'm the lead minister here. Remember me? Uh, and I've just returned from a period of sabbatical leave. And I want to say thank you so much to you all for your generosity in so many ways in giving me the, the time and space to replenish for leading in the years ahead, and the space for study and discernment and prayer. And so many of you have been so generous to us in, in so many others, uh, other ways as well. We praise God and we're very thankful. It has been a privilege to visit other churches and other leadership teams around the country to, to experience and to see how the Lord is at work in other cities and to learn alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ who are leading other churches and part of other churches. It's been good to be away, but it's even better to be back home, to be back home here at Cornerstone, being part of and shepherding God's flocks here at Cornerstone. It's great to be back home. And that theme of home is picked up as our psalm begins, so please turn back there, Psalm 90, page 5. 9 9 in the church Bibles. It will help you have, if you have a church Bible in front of you. And you'll see that theme of home as we look in the first two verses at dwelling with the everlasting God. And you can see uh, in the Bible above the heading for Psalm 90 that it begins book four of the Psalms. The, in the ancient songs in this section, there are lots of references to the exodus of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. That's the, the theme of holiday club this year. And you'll see too that we're told that Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And Moses had moved a number of different times in his life for a variety of reasons. He was born into a Levite family at a very dangerous time for, for God's people as Hebrew boys were being killed. He was rescued from a river by Pharaoh's daughter 
taken into, their ha- into Pharaoh's household, but nursed by his own mother. Later, he'd flee to Midian. He met with God in the wilderness, then returned to Egypt. He led God's people out of slavery and wandered in the desert for 40 years. Moses had plenty of moves throughout his life. And yet he can say, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And centuries later in ancient Israel, God's people could still sing this psalm. They could say that verse as they were moved into exile, for example. Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our home. And we, as God's people today, can sing this too. I know that amongst us, some of us were born in Nottingham or nearby. I was born in Derbyshire. I've only ever moved 30 miles in my entire life. But many of us here, I know, have moved hundreds, thousands of miles to be in Nottingham. And you may be sitting here today and you know that you are far from the place that you call home. And I can't pretend that I know what that feels like because I don't. But you do. And maybe you have times of deeply missing home. You long for the familiarity of that place you know as home. You ache for home. And in the midst of the, the reality of those, experience, of those experiences, may you know an even deeper and richer experience of being able to name the Lord as your dwelling place. The Lord who brought you here to Nottingham and who brought you here to Cornerstone. The Lord who has a home for you here in this city. The Lord who has a home for you amongst his people here. Wherever in the world you have moved from, whether Derbyshire or Dubai, whether Abuja or Accrington. The Lord is our home. He is our dwelling place. I know that many cornerstoners go to the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. Colin and Phil lead worship there in, uh, in one of the weeks, and Kat was singing there as well. I'm never invited to be a part of the band at Keswick, you know, and there's a very good reason for that. But uh, uh, in, May, I, I, in May, I was up there in Keswick on a, a leadership week, and after, after the sessions one day, I went for a short walk near, near the place where I was staying, and I turned a corner walking through a field, and I was faced with, with this view a view of a fell named Skidder. And the photo doesn't really do justice to the experience, but just as I turned the corner and walked into this field, I was stopped in my tracks 
by this sense of awe. And it was verse 2 of Psalm 90 that came to mind. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This hill, this fell is ancient and vast. And it, and it dwarfs little me. And I had a very strong sense of that. And this ancient and vast hill, and, and I felt so small. And yet before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, before Skidder was there, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Dwelling with the everlasting God. Secure. In a fast-moving world, he is unchanging. In a shifting world, the Lord alone gives security. And so with God's people throughout all of the generations, we too can sing this psalm. In fact, many of these psalms have passed into usage as Christian songs. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn based on the first six verses of it. Can this be your song today? O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone and our defense is sure. God is everlasting. And in verse 3 and onwards, human beings are portrayed, well, we're portrayed in stark contrast, verse 3. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. As a pastor, I'm privileged to be present at some of the most really, I think, some of the most poignant moments in people's lives. And joining and, and leading people around the graveside to lead mourners is, is one of those deeply moving moments. And as, as, a, as a pastor, you, you're part of that perhaps more frequently than, than others. And as a pastor, you stand around an open grave and you speak the words... It has pleased Almighty God to call away from this life our dear friend. And therefore we now commit their body to the ground, earth to earth, dust to dust. It's an experience that brings home the brevity of life. Even if that life may have been long and lived well with full of faith in Christ. Returned to dust. And in our society we may do all we can to distract and postpone thoughts of death. And our world fosters the illusion that we could go on and on and on and on. And yet this psalm shatters the illusion with the reality that verse 4, a thousand years in your sight 
or like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. There are various word pictures that are used in the Bible to make the same point about the brevity and the fragility of life. The Bible speaks of life as being like a mist that disappears or a flower that fades, or a leaf in the wind, or a fleeting shadow. And here, life in this psalm is compared to the grass in the Middle East that that springs up new, but soon withers under the hot, dry sun. And the second half of verse 9 says, we finish our years with a moan. My granddad on my mum's side of the family, he, he died during the, the time then I, that I was a student. So quite a while ago, he was, he was in his 80s. His mind was confused by the, the ravages of Alzheimer's disease. And visiting him in the, in the nursing home in the weeks before he died, I can still remember him turning to me and wearily saying in a, very North Di- in a very North Derbyshire kind of way, I'm about ready for knocking off, lad. I'm about ready for knocking off. He was ready to go home. We finish or years with a moan. Verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. And our psalm makes clear that the fragility of life, the mortality of life is set in the context of, of God's anger, his indignation, his wrath at humanity's sin. Look at verse 7, we're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan, then down to verse 11. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And in the scriptures we learn that the power of God's wrath is expressed in various different ways. The human life is toilsome. And that and that human beings, we all face death. That grievous intrusion into the world that God made. Yet one that which comes to every human being. As we've turned as a race away from the author of life, God our creator. And also that the, at the end of time, all human beings face the judgment seat of God in the final judgment. And sometimes people struggle, understandably, with the idea of God's wrath. How can, a, how, can a ju- how, can a, how can a good God be angry? Well, the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is indifference. And our God is not indifferent to evil. He is not indifferent to injustice but rather is righteously angry. 
And this anger isn't our kind of door-slamming anger, no. That's not the, that's not the picture. But a settled holy wrath against all human rebellion, against his good, right, and loving rule. And God's final judgment means that one day every wrong will be put right. And so it's essential that we have in mind this full biblical, full picture of the biblical teaching about God's judgment. And to help us with this, I want to read you a story that is told by uh, somebody called Mark Menel. He now works for Langham Partnership and he lives in the UK. But for several years he worked in Africa. He, was, he had a role training church leaders and others. And I'm going to pick up the, the story in Mark's own words. It's taken from this book published in 2015 entitled A Wilderness of Mirrors, Trusting Again in a Cynical World. So I'll pick up this story in his own words. I was teaching in a small Uganda-founded seminary and particularly loved spending time with the students. It was such a privilege and a huge learning experience. A number of our students were from the surrounding countries, Rwanda, Burundi, Sudan as it then was, Democratic Republic of the Congo, and even Ethiopia. To say that their stories were eye-opening is an understatement. The hardships and injustices they faced constantly challenged the complacent securities of home. And the experiences of two Congolese men in particular have stayed with me. And then he goes on to refer to, to one, of, one friend just by his initial, M. M had been a banker in President Mobutu Zaire, as the Congo was then called. The term kleptocracy, ruled by thieves, was coined for the regime because the president of that uniquely resource-rich land regarded the central bank as his personal reserves. His lackeys naturally followed suit. This made it a country where working as a banker could prove fatal. But when the Cold War ended and the West no longer needed its African bulwark against communism, Mobutu fell, and the country was plunged into even greater chaos. In the late 1990s, war became constant and with, with the country suffering its highest death toll since 1945. While the rest of the world seemed oblivious, the loss of perhaps five million lives provoked the conflict's bitterly ironic nickname, Africa's World War. M had to flee his home in Kisangani, eventually reaching Kampala with his wife, and three daughters. They had seen close family members hacked to death with machetes. They had lost everything except the clothes they escaped in. They were refugees in an English-speaking country and also, also had to learn, therefore, a fourth language. Before enrolling in our college, the family could afford one room without power or water, and one meal every two days with their refugees' allowance. I will never forget the day M and I found ourselves alone, chatting in the college library. 
He smiled bravely as tears streamed down his cheeks. I had been told that African men don't cry. Eventually, he said, Mark, I could never trust in God if it wasn't for judgment. For I know that there will not and cannot be justice for us in this world. But this is key for making the Christian, new, Christian message good news for me. Mark, I could never trust in God if it wasn't for judgment. For I know there will not and cannot be justice for us in this world. But this is key for making the Christian message good news for me. Dwelling with the everlasting God. Dying as mortal human beings. But there is more. We can be thankful that the psalm and our lives do not end there. And if you're following in the church Bibles, turn over the page. Turn over the page. Because as we turn this page, we learn to live as praying servants. Verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This psalm teaches us, as we've seen, some very important lessons about God and some very important lessons about ourselves as human beings. And once we've grasped the relationship between the two, then we'll see how we're to be living our lives. John Calvin begins his most famous book, The Institutes, by stating this. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Know God. Know yourself. Know yourself to know your need of God. Know God to know that you are not God. Yes, we're dust, but we are dust with dignity. Our days are numbered. Our days are numbered. Do you get the two ways we can need to understand that? Yes, our days are limited, but there is one who numbers them. As Psalm 139 teaches us. So we can pray to him. We can ask him to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's not primarily about time management techniques, but rather living wisely in light of who God is and who we are. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And verses 12 to 17 are actually six short prayers that we can pray. Here's something for this week. Why not pray beginning today for the next six days? Just one a day, one prayer a day, one verse a day through these prayers. Today, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom.
And on Monday, we'll be praying, verse 13, relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. A cry of lament. Do you ever watch or or read the news or look at the news and cry that cry? Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Every day I get an email that that summarizes news from around the world. It's about a five-minute read. And sometimes that, that is the limit of the amount of news that I can take. Racial injustice, economic hardship, climate change, disasters, oppression, conflict, the list goes on. On Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll be praying verses 14 and 15, knowing there is a sense in which those verses find some fulfillment in this world, but ultimately only in the new creation. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. The sense there is, make our days as long as our nights. You have given us bitter herbs, now give us the lamb. Give us the lamb. And as we reach Thursday, our prayers are turning to the next generation. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. I know that living in Nottingham in the summer, the word splendor we associate with the music festival of the same name in Wollaton Park. And it was quite a soggy splendor this year. But the splendor of our God will always shine through in any weather. And it seems likely that the next generation will face challenges that are starker than many of us have faced. And there's much that we can and should be praying for them in regard to that. But more than anything, let's pray that the Lord would show his deeds and his splendor to the next generation. We want to help people follow Jesus in Nottingham, in all nations, and in the next generation. That they'd see his splendor, that they'd know his deeds. And by Friday, we might be coming to the end of the working week, and we're praying, verse 17, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Verses 13 and 16 refer to us as God's servants. And in verse 17, we have this picture of the work of our hands. And it's not just when we're gathered here on a Sunday that we serve the Lord, but Monday through to Saturday as we're scattered across the city in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our communities. So look at your hands. In fact, can I I invite you to put your hands out in front of you. Don't worry, I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm still me. This is still Cornerstone. You can relax. Don't worry. Just put your hands out in front of you. And think about how you're going to use your hands this week. The messages that you'll send. The pots that you'll wash up. The nappies you'll change. The care that you will give to the elderly or to an ill-loved one. 
and some of you are watching at home, at home right now, that you'd love to be here. You can't because you're, you're looking after those at home. The material that you shape and construct. The software that you'll develop. The people that you'll protect. Whatever it might be for you. Look at your hands and how they will serve the Lord this week and pray. Establish the work of our hands for us. And perhaps as you look out at the week ahead, your longing for home is more profound than ever. And in the midst of those deep longings, remember that God is our dwelling place. He invites us into his home, into his household. And actually we find that we're included in God's household, not simply as servants, but as children. And not only do we dwell with God, but in Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In Jesus Christ, God's justice is satisfied. He dies our death, takes our punishment in our place and rises to bring us new eternal life. And as we long for for him to return, we serve him all our days, living in his wisdom, knowing that we're forgiven. An old missionary couple had been working overseas for years, and they were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension, Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. And they discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning home from one of his big game hunting expeditions. And no one paid much attention to this old couple. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage and passengers trying to catch just a glimpse of the famous man. And as the ship moved across the ocean, the husband said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God overseas all these many years and no one care a thing about us? And here, this man comes back from a hunting trip and everyone makes much over him, but nobody, nobody, nobody cares about us. And his wife said, dear, you, you shouldn't feel that way. And he replied, I can't help it. It doesn't seem right. And when the ship docked in New York, well, there was a, a big band there waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The newspapers were full of the president's arrival, but no one noticed this missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and quietly found a cheap flat, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. And that night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. And his wife replied, Why don't you go into our room 
and tell that to the Lord. And so he did. And a short time later, he came out of the room. But now his face was completely different. And his wife asked, what happened? What happened? And the man replied, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us when we returned home. And I poured out my heart and my complaint to the Lord. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Maybe there are some here this morning who right now sense the Lord very gently putting his hand on your shoulder and saying, You're not home yet. You're not home yet. And then lifting our eyes to give us a glimpse of our true hope. As John saw in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And all God's people said, Amen. And can I invite us now as we respond to stand together and we're going to pray the words of of verses 12 to 17 out loud and then respond in song. So as we stand together, let's all of us raise our voices to pray all these six prayers now and to lead us into the week. So let's pray together.
Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands.